Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You love us because of who and what You are, not because we have to merit it. We also thank You for the daily bread that we have. It's Your logistical grace. We also thank You for the spiritual bread that we have. Everything that we need is supplied. It's because of Your grace that we are able to stand. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. We have the high honor this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, which has been going on now for approximately 2,000 years. It's important to know why we do what we do so it's not just ritual without reality. We have uh, in 1 Corinthians tells us to keep on eating the bread and drinking of the cup to remember Christ until He returns. And we are assembled here this morning in order to be obedient to that command. And we have to realize, why do we do it? First of all, it's because it's commanded of us. And the purpose is not to forgive sin or to be more spiritual. It's to remember Jesus Christ. Before we had the Lord's Supper, we had the altar. George, will you kill these lights overhead, please? When man fell, God had to supply a substitute, an atonement. Therefore, up until the time of Christ's coming and His atoning work for us on the cross, He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We had the altar. The altar is the sacrifice that was needed because of God's perfect essence. When man fell, it required condemnation. It required that he be removed from God, the spiritual death. And right off the bat, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gives us the first hint of a Savior. And so, from Adam after God had made the first sacrifice, which was the animals that God had to kill in order to make clothing for them, from that time on to the first coming, which was we know as the first advent, there were literally thousands, if not millions, of innocent animals that were sacrificed in order to put a lid on sin, as it were to cover sin until the real Lamb of God would come and take away the sins of the world. So the altar reminded the people of their sin and what was yet to come, which was the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Then when Christ came and went to the cross, actually it was the night before He was going to be crucified, everything changed. We don't observe the Passover any longer. Remember what the Israelites did when 
the night of the Passover came, they were instructed to take the perfect lamb, which they had to do ten, time, ten days ahead of time to make sure that there was no sickness. It had to be perfect. They sacrificed it and they took the blood and put over the lintel and the doorpost. Well, that was a representation of the blood of Christ, which is essentially symbolizes Christ's spiritual death on the cross. Christ died twice on the cross. First, he died spiritually, which was the condemnation, was our punishment, and then he died physically because his work had been accomplished. And that night before he was crucified, he instituted what a lot of people call the Last Supper, but really in another way, it was the First Supper. It was the First Lord's Supper. And so when we partake of the elements today, what we're doing is remembering the sacrifice that has already been made and we are, we are to do this until He comes. So we look forward to the time that Jesus Christ returns for us, the church, which we call the rapture. And then seven years after that, we're going to have the second advent when Jesus Christ returns to set up His millennial kingdom. Then, as you can see on the visual here, it's the throne. We, we can't see Christ personally now. We look forward to His coming. But then after he comes and gets us at the rapture, then he returns seven years later, we will return with him to planet Earth and we see him face to face. The issue then won't be an altar. It won't be the Eucharist, which is another term for the Lord's Supper or communion. Then it's going to be seeing Jesus Christ himself face to face. Now what you think about Jesus Christ determines what you are now what your life is like now. Not only that, what you think about Jesus Christ will determine what your life will be like for all eternity. Now think, for, think about that for just a moment. That's how important your thoughts towards Jesus Christ are. And now we are the royal family of God assembled here together to observe this very important ritual. But it must be with reality. We must be thinking about Christ during this time and what we know about Him. Some people know very little. Those who have been good and faithful servants who have been in the Word and have circulating in their stream of consciousness the doctrines, the principles, the precepts of the Word of God, which 1 Corinthians chapter 2 calls the mind of Christ. So we're thinking about our Lord Jesus Christ he is uniqueness. He is the anthrop he is the theanthropic person. Theanthropic. What does that mean? Here it is on the board for you. The Lord Jesus Christ is the theanthropic person. He's the only theanthropic being in the universe. Now we get the word theanthropic from two Greek words, the first one being theos, which is a God. And the next word is anthropos, which is man. He is the God-man. Another theological term for that is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, which we call the hypostatic union. It comes from the Greek word 
hypostasis, which means the essence. He is the exact representation. has the same essence as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is a member of the Trinity. The definition here, one of the Godhead before whom all angels bow in unceasing adoration, the creator of all things, for whom all things were created and by whom they exist, the everlasting ruler of the universe, the redeemer of all of a lost world, the final judge over the creation of God, including both angels and men. Every time I see this word, I giggle a little bit within myself because I look this up in a big dictionary I have. It's about this thick at home. You won't find theanthropic in all dictionaries, but I found it in this one. And it had a, de a definition similar to this one. And at the end, this is why I used to giggle, it had this last comment. He said, this is rare. I thought, talk about an understatement. It's rare. Well, I'd say it's rare indeed. The elements that we have today that we're going to partake of are bread and the cup. The bread is unleavened bread. And unleavened bread always speaks of perfection. Leaven is referenced as sinful in the Bible. It represents sin in Matthew 16.6, 6, Galatians 5.9, and in... 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. By the way, in that scripture, Christ is called our Passover. So we don't observe the Passover. We have the Passover. We are in Him and He is in us. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means the house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. We have a scripture. John chapter 6, verse 48 through 51. I, Jesus, am the bread of life. Your fathers, that would be the Exodus generation, that would be the first Exodus generation that failed. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. We would call that logistical grace. When you have about two million people out in a desert, can you think of the logistics it would take in order to feed and give water, nourishment, everything that they would need? Tremendous. And God provided manna. And you all remember what manna is. You might be saying, what is it? And you're right. That's what it means. What is it? When they went out and they saw the manna, they said, manna, what is it? This is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Now, this is referring to Christ himself. I'm almost certain when Christ said this that he was pointing to himself. This is the bread of heaven, or the bread that comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof. Eating here represents believing in Jesus Christ and not die. He's not referring to physical death, which you could call the first death, he's talking about the second death. It is reverence, referenced in Revelation chapter 20. The second death is reserved only for those who reject Jesus Christ. They don't believe in Christ. 
And they will experience the second death after they stand before Jesus Christ as their judge because they rejected Him as their Savior and they'll be tossed into the lake of fire. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, that means believe in Christ, he shall live forever. That means he will receive eternal life. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Doctrine of unlimited atonement. Anyone can eat. And when you eat, you are publicly proclaiming that you are trusting in faith alone in Christ alone for your eternal salvation. And so when you partake of this bread, that's a public demonstration of your faith in Christ. What an honor. Then we have the cup. The cup represents the work of Christ on the cross. Christ went to the cross voluntarily. No one forced Him to do so. In fact, when He died, He didn't die because of what was going on, all the physical torture. He died because He Himself gave up His Spirit. That's part of a prophecy, by the way. He said, no one takes my life away from me. I give it up voluntarily. Now, we can't do that, but Christ could. When He breathed His last, and after He breathed, or right before he breathed his last, remember what he said? Tetelestai. Some call it tetelestai. It means it is finished. He completed the sacrifice that God required in order for us to have our so great salvation. That means he had to be absolutely sinless his entire life, which is what the bread portrays. There's a scripture that I like particularly with regards to the cup. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 through 17. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Now, I told you the, blood of, the, the physical blood of Christ didn't save anyone. The physical blood of Christ is a spiritual representation or an analogy of Christ's spiritual death on the cross. And when God darkened the earth while Christ was hanging on the cross, it was during those three hours that He experienced what we should have experienced, which is total separation from God. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So when we partake of the bread, we are sharing in the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ was a literal entity, that which hung on the cross. But now, he still has a literal body. It's a resurrection body. But so often the Bible speaks of the body of Christ as us. I'm looking at the body of Christ right now. And so it's a sharing of the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So we have one element that all of us as a congregation are going to partake of, but we are one body. I think this is a very special time, and of course this is one reason that God commanded it, 
Because each one of us are going to be concentrating on Jesus Christ and the doctrines that we know. In a corporate fashion, we are doing it as well. We're doing it individually, but we're doing it as the body of Christ. You don't have to be a member of Country Bible Church in order to partake of the elements. But you do have to make sure that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That you give proper reverence to this ritual. There were those who, in the first century church, that didn't do that. And they were in danger of becoming sick. Some of them even died because of their irreverent attitude towards this ritual and towards Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we are going to have a few moments of silent prayer before we begin. That gives you the opportunity to do a little soul searching, make sure that there's no unconfessed sin in your soul so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, concentrate, and this will be meaningful to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to focus upon the body, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, all that He went through in order to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We pray that You will flood our souls with these thoughts as we partake of this unleavened bread. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the bread until all have been served. He was wounded for our transgressions and He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripe we are healed. The night before our Lord was to be crucified, He took the bread and He broke it. He blessed it. and said, This is My body that is given for you. Take and eat thereof. Again, Father, as we focus on the cup, we pray that You will flood our souls with not only the doctrines regarding our so great salvation, but a great appreciation as we partake of this cup. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the cup until all have been served. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. He, God the Father has laid upon Him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. On that same occasion, our Lord took the cup, said, this is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of Me. We will stand and sing hymn number 258. We will sing it softly. On the third verse, crescendo on the last verse, let us stand as we sing. Seated.
We have been studying something that we call faith rest. Actually, it's, you could call it a, man, a, a mechanic, a technique. It's a method that believers use in order to not hit the panic button when things go wrong. And we're faced with the troubles and woes of this earth. We found this, at least mentioned, what got us started in it was in Joshua chapter 11. Then we went to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're, we found that there are different ways that you can get into this faith, faith rest mode, you might call it. God does not want us to be unstable. He wants us to live the abundant life. We cannot do that if we're worried, full of foreboding and dread because of our circumstances. He's enabled us to lift above uh, the mire of worry. And we just simply faith rest. So that's what we're going to look at just briefly. We're just going to do a flyover of where we've gone with regards to faith rest so that you will remember it. The best method of teaching is repetition. I'll put it on the board for you here. Ways to faith rest. Ways to get on top of your circumstances. Ways to not allow the details of life to become your life. Remember what I've said over and over. If you don't master the details of life, they're going to master you. The way to do that is to consistently take in the Word of God, learn how to rebound, learn how to get the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then learn how to faith rest. How valuable is this, by the way? That we don't depend on our happiness by whatever our circumstances may be. It's invaluable. So here are the ways. The first one is claim a promise. There are literally thousands of promises in the Word of God. How many do you know? I don't mean that you know a little bit. You might know some of the verse, but you don't know where it's found. I'm talking about that you know it pat. You should know a lot of them pat. Because what happens is when you are hit from something out of the blue that you weren't expecting, you need to be ready to start faith resting. By the way, that happened to me on the way to church this morning. I was just going through Green Vine in my little gray truck. And I always try to, I slow down and I try to go as inconspicuously as possible as I pass the Lutheran church. Well, I got right at the Lutheran church today and... I mean, it sounded like a cannon. Wow. And it was right at the church. And everybody, they're craning their head and looking at it. I, what happened? I, didn't, I hadn't a clue what happened. But I noticed that the muffler was, well, the exhaust was really loud. In fact, there was no exhaust. <laughs> so I tried to stay calm and act like, oh, this is normal as I go by the church. They would probably agree with me for me. That's normal. So I go by the church, and when I get out of sight, I stop and look under there, and one whole side of my muffler is blown out. And I thought, wow, this is a good time to faith rest. What should I do? Well, I just put it in gear, and here it came. I did get a few stares as you play. In fact, if I cranked up out there right now. Yeah. Anyway, you never know when it's going to happen. 
right out of the blue. And I just claimed a promise. Now, I'm going to show you my favorite promise in the Bible is right here. Isaiah 41.10. If you don't know this, it's a good time to learn it, to memorize it. By the way, did you all see on your bulletin, on the cover, the new verse for May? Y'all do remember, we're learning we're a verse each month. We're memorizing a verse each month. I hope we're memorizing a verse each month. I hope you remember that we're memorizing a verse each month. In any case, Isaiah 41.10, I don't remember what month it was, but it was already on your bulletin. So I guess if we started... uh, over here, or over here. And I said, each person's going to stand and give us the verse. That You'd be very comfortable with that. Of course, I'm not going to do that because I would like to see you again. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yea, I will behold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. How often can you use that? A day. Every day, more than once a lot of times. That's one way of putting down the static and the noise in your soul because of the attacks of your old sin nature as well as the world and the flesh and, and Satan, of course. The second way to faith rest is what we simply call the essence box. The essence box is simply a visual where we put God's essence, at least ten attributes of God, in a box so that we can concentrate on them that way. You know, I didn't come up with this idea of putting them in a box, but it was really a great idea because if I would have just... uh, I learned this from uh, where I used to go to church, but if you just put ten points, it's hard to visualize ten points. But if you take ten points and put them in a box, voila! For some reason, they're easier to visualize. And so the whole purpose of this, by the way, I have it here, the essence box. Here it is. Um, I don't know if you see the box. The red box is out here. Um, the attributes of God. Then when you start thinking about these, your problem gets smaller and God gets bigger. And that's the whole idea. Now, you can go through life being controlled, led around by the nose, by your circumstances, or you can live the abundant life. You make the decision. You see, you cannot get on top of your circumstances. You cannot be contented and full of security and courage if you are ignorant of God's Word. And there is no coasting in the Christian life. I don't know how many times I've said it. Some of you probably get tired of hearing it. But there is no neutral in your spiritual transmission. You all have a spiritual transmission, by the way. A lot of believers don't know it because they never get out of neutral. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a park. And they park it and they never go anywhere. So when you have these exigencies of life pressing in and you have stress in your soul... Just thinking about God. Well, is God just? Absolutely impossible for Him not to be. Is He righteous? Yes, He's always going to do the right thing. Does He love me? (laughs) 
Well, he demonstrated that to the ultimate on the cross. Veracity, is he truthful? Is he ever going to lie to you? If he lied, he wouldn't be God. He's omniscient. Does he know about your problem? Well, not only does he know about it, he knew about it in eternity past. And he also had the solution in eternity past. Is he omnipotent? Is he powerful enough to do something about your problems? Well, of course he is. He's omnipresent. Is he off in some galaxy and he doesn't have time to deal with your problems? Or can you go anywhere on this planet without him being there? Of course not. He's sovereign. He does what he wills to do. Of course, his sovereignty has to, has to harmonize with all the rest of these uh, attributes. But no one tells God what to do. Eternal life. He is eternal. Not, is he, not only is he going to be there today, tomorrow, he's always existed and he's always going to have eternal life. That's why we have to have eternal life imputed to us. And that comes by what? Oh, come on. Eternal life comes through what? Okay, well, that's good enough. You, there's a lot of good answers. Faith alone in Christ alone, believing. Now, I want to hear believing this time. And I don't want it to... Eternal life comes through what? All right, now we're on track. Immutability. What is immutability about? That's my, by the way, this is one of my favorites. It means that God isn't going to change. What if He had all of these attributes, but, you know, they're subject to change. He might be gracious today. He might be just today. But tomorrow, maybe not so much. This is the way the Muslims view Allah, by the way. They cower before Him. Now, we fear God. We respect God. But they cower because they think, I hope, I hope today is going to be a good day. That he's not in a bad mood. See, we don't ever have to worry about that with God because he is immutable. He changes not. So that's another way that you can get into this faith rest, the way that you can have that abundant life by depending upon who and what God is. And remember, I've said this once already today, God loves us. He treats us in grace, not because of who and what we are, I know all of us think we're pretty special. And we are to God, but that's not why He blesses us. That's not why He gives us logistical grace. That's not why we can always depend upon Him. It's because of who and what He is. Remember, Christ went to the cross while we were yet sinners. Okay, the third way to get into this faith rest is what we call the grace pipeline or logistical grace. You are a child of God. And the Bible promises that God is going to give you everything that you need in order to fulfill His plan. In military jargon, it's beans and bullets. But with the believer, it's referring to transportation, clothes, food, uh, lodging, uh, health, everything that you need in order to fulfill His plan, God is going to provide that for you. You might think, well, I know, but you know, I'm kind of, I've kind of been backslidden. 
and I'm not the best believer in the world, I, that, that probably doesn't apply to me. Is that right? No, it's not right. God provides logistical grace. He provides for your needs, logistically speaking, because you are a child of God. You're His child and you have something that allows Him to provide these things for you without compromising His essence. And that is what? Thank you. Now let's try this one on for size again. God is able to give us all our needs because we possess something that is absolutely necessary for Him to do that. You see, He does not provide these needs based on who and what you are, but based on who and what He has. And you have something that allows Him to do it without compromising His essence, which is... Thank you. And this grace pipeline, this is what it looks like. We've gone over this many times in detail. You see, the reason that we get this logistical grace from God, if you're a believer, you get it. You see, I wish I could say, only if you come to church regularly and do what you're supposed to do is God going to give you this. Now, that, if I was arranging things, I would have that lever over you and I would beat you over the head with it, see. But I can't do that. Because God blesses you based on who and what He is and because you have His righteousness. Now, I would, I would like to bring out a verse. I don't want to push my luck, though, about when and how you get His righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But the last time I did that... What? <laughs> the last time I did that, it was just... Romans 5... You notice God's justice, what goes through this pipeline, is blessing and logistical grace. And, it, and you have logistical grace, all these things provided for you, and blessings because you have God's righteousness. See that? To the one who does not work but believes on Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness Romans 4, 5. If you don't know that one, it's on the list. So, God blesses sinful man without compromising His perfect justice and righteousness because we have His righteousness and the justice of God blesses uh, this perfect righteousness that we have. Here's some, uh, some verses down here that has to do with imputed righteousness. And all these things here, personality, talent, tithing, social action, sacrifice, tithing again, self Righteousness, morality, witnessing, prayer, giving service, sincerity, emotionalism, all these things bounce off. You are not blessed because of any of these things. You're blessed by God with logistical grace because you have His own righteousness and you've had it since the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ. That's part of the deal. When you believe in Jesus Christ, instantly imputed to you is eternal life, which is a good verse for that would be, John 3.36, which is also one of our memory verses, which I knew you all know, right? I'm not uh, too sure that that's the case. 
Y'all want to say it with me? He who believes on the Son has eternal life. But he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. By the way, it says, he who believes, what? doesn't say will get eternal life, what? Has eternal life from the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. We are not blessed because of what we do for God, but because of what God has done for us. Now, this is, doesn't mean, oh, I got logistical grace. <laughs> Man, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a, what do they call it when you, I, I guess I'll just call it a vacation. Sabbatical, yeah, there you go, sabbatical. And I'll get around to doing something spiritual one of these days, but I'm going to get the logistical grace anyway, so I don't have anything to sweat. <laughs> one of the things that's left out of that equation is called the divine woodshed. It's called divine discipline. God will still give you logistical grace, but if you want to thumb your nose at God and ignore Him and His Word, you can do that. But He will make you wish that you didn't. Put it that way. Okay, so that's another way to access the faith rest. The next one is God's plan of seven imputations. Oh, wow. I'm just going to show you very quickly what we've gone through. I'm, I've got five minutes according to the clock. And when you see what I'm about to put on the screen and you think five minutes, you think, uh-uh. But we'll give it a shot, okay? Here it is. There are seven imputations that God wants us to receive. Now, every person born except one has received uh, these first two. This, this area of, of Scripture here is the unbeliever. We're all born as unbelievers, by the way. And these imputations take place at physical birth. These people aren't mad and leaving, by the way. They're leaving early to go take care of the, of the dinner. And they're leaving because they thought I was going to forget to tell them. <laughs> but that's okay. But this, this will uh, kind of test your concentration. Son. Can you concentrate on something like this while people are leaving? And if you've never seen this before, you're going, oh, wow. I was never good at algebra. I'll never get this. Well, you can get it. If you're a believer, you can get it. You know why? Because the grace system of perception is not based. You can understand the whole realm of doctrine if you're positive because God, the Holy Spirit, is our mentor. He teaches these, these spiritual things. And so if you want to plug in, you can and understand. Two imputations at physical birth. First of all, soul life is imputed to biological life which results in human life. In other words... You have biological life in the womb, but God imparts soul life. By the way, what does God make the soul out of? Nothing. Try that one on for size. Same thing that he made the universe out of. What? Nothing. Then we also have Adam's original sin that was imputed to our old sin nature. Now, see, I'm throwing out technical terms. And if you haven't been around to get the 
gist of these. This is going to be hard for you to, to understand because I can't go into it in any detail with the amount of time I have left. When Adam sinned, we all sinned, and that imputation is given to us, or is in, that, that condemnation is given to us uh, the moment that we're born, and so that results in spiritual death. So you have human life, but spiritual death creates a potential. Remember that condemnation always precedes salvation. Precedes salvation. So when we're born instantly, after we take our first breath, there is a potential there for salvation. But what does it take? It takes the gospel. You have to hear the gospel. And when that gospel is heard and you have faith in Christ, then what happens? Boom. You're no longer an unbeliever. You're a new creature according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you move over into the next radical, which is this one. And we have two more imputations here. This is imputations at physical birth. These are imputations at spiritual birth. And first of all, we have our personal sins were imputed to Christ on the cross. You see, that's why this is so important. We are not, none of us are condemned for our own sins because if we were, our personal sins, then God would not have been allowed to impute those to Christ on the cross. That's why we're condemned by Adam's sin, which gives the potential of salvation. So all our personal sins were imputed to Christ on the cross. And then another thing happened, God's righteousness is imputed to us. You see, these are squares. These are the only squares because these are different. These are called just real imputations because what is imputed has an affinity which the target to which they are uh, imputed. In other words, soul life fits into biological life. Adam's original sin fits with the old sin nature. But our personal sins do not fit with regards to Christ because he was absolutely perfect. So this is a judicial imputation where our personal sins go to Christ. And then God's righteousness is imputed to us. We are sinful creatures. We have an old sin nature. And yet we have something that does not belong there because of these two judicial imputations. When Christ imputed our sins to Christ on the cross, it allowed Him to impute His righteousness to us. Both these, they're judicial because they don't have an affinity here. So we have God's own righteousness plus logistical grace. By the way, this little... Pipe, this is the pipeline here. That's when God's righteousness goes to us, that has everything to do with logistical grace, with this pipeline that I've shown you, because that's how we are blessed by God. So you have plus our God's righteousness plus logistical grace plus doctrine. We've already got the gospel here. Now we need to learn how are we to live the Christian way of life. How are we to take advantage of the spiritual dynamics of the church age in which we're in? Well, these two come together, and when you consistently take in the Word, you grow up spiritually, you fulfill this potential number two, which is super grace, blessings, and time. Now, every believer has the logistical grace we were talking about, but super grace is different. Super grace is only for those who have advanced, has this doctrine that the mediocre believer doesn't have. All he has is logistical grace. But as you grow and you grow in capacity, then God can give you this ultra grace, more grace, and that is blessings in time. And last time, remember, we went into six categories of super grace. Remember that? The Bible calls it, in some cases, uh, more grace, abundant grace, and so forth. So this is the 
the right, you got X here is the unbeliever, Y is the believer. Is God through with the believer once he reaches this point to where he's a spiritually mature believer? Is it over for him? No. God wants us, wants to give us more. And this is the last one here. This is the mature believer. You see, once you have blessings in time, it's not over. God wants to get you all the way over here. Now, this is surpassing grace, blessings in eternity. Do you want that? Some of you look like you don't care. I mean, if you don't care, that's all right. But you're not going to get them. And it lasts for all eternity, I'll remind you. So what does it take? First of all, this is the Z radical. This is the imputations for, uh, etern- that, that are imputed in eternity. This imputation of, this is eternal life imputed at salvation. Over here, when you got the righteousness, you also got the eternal life as well. And it's imputed to the human spirit. You didn't have a human spirit before you believed in Jesus Christ. Now, some will argue, yeah, you had a spirit it was dormant. Uh, tomato, tomato, uh, it doesn't matter to me what, what, which way you want to take that. The fact is, it wasn't active. I think you didn't have it. So, eternal life is imputed to your human spirit. So now we have eternal life plus blessings in time. You already have that. You keep on getting doctrine. And by the time you check out, you can anticipate surpassing grace blessings in time. Now, we just went over six categories of blessing last time, and they were phenomenal, were they not? I mean, I saw all of your eyes light up when I went to the second category, which is temporal blessings, and I said, wealth is part of it, and everybody went, boy, you nearly went to attention. But that's just wealth is here and it's gone, right? The Bible says money is like a bird. Grows wings and flies away, doesn't it? So this is what God wants for us in eternity is the surpassing grace. He's not only going to bless us in time with super grace, but He starts out with logistical grace over here. Every believer gets this, but it's the doctrine that's missing for them not to get the super grace blessings in time. If you don't get super grace blessings in time, you're not going to get them in eternity. Because see there, eternal life, which is here, plus the blessings in time, equals plus uh, doctrine equals the potential. And the potential is for God to bless you for all eternity. Romans 8, 28. Remember, we know that all things work together for good to those who what? Love God. Does everybody love God? No. There are churches this morning meeting by the... Thousands, millions maybe. And they're all singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And they don't even, they don't know anything. They can't, you see, you have to know someone to love someone. That's why it's the doctrine. It's the doctrine. It's the knowledge that you have to acquire by consistently taking in the Word that's going to move you right through this process. Now, I hope all of you have this in mind. And if, if, this, if you're bogged down with this, the first time you've seen it maybe, all of this is on our website. And if you want to, you can go through all the messages where I go through every one of these and give it in detail. Now, there's one more and that I'm not going to be able to go through today that I'll just show you. And that is the fifth one, a fortiori logic. <laughs> if this is your first time here, you're going to think, what in the world is he talking about? This a fortiori logic, the first time I went to Baraka Church, 
and they were mentioning a fortiori logic, I would probably think the same thing that you did. In fact, I, I knew I couldn't ask anybody, so I just wrote it down and said, afterwards I said, what is a fortiori? And you're going to have to tune in next time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, well, I'm already past time, quite a bit past time. It's just a, a way of, uh, it's a logic, it's showing that if God can do the most for you on the cross, then certainly He can provide protection and provision for you now that you are His child. See, He did the most for us while we were yet sinners. God demonstrated His love towards us in that He died as a sacrifice while we were yet sinners. So, He can do the most for us now that we are His children. And in the Bible, many times it says, if 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 such and such happened, then so-and-so, so-and-so is going to happen. It's much easier. That's all I'm going to give you for right now with regards to that because we're out of time. I'd like everyone, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes. This last part of this service is for someone here that may not know what their eternal existence is going to be like or where they're going to be. The greatest news you'll ever hear is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went to the cross. He took care of your sin problem. He was resurrected, and now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And in that moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you are born again. You become a child of God. And your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. And now it's an issue of if you're going to exploit God's grace and move through these seven imputations and have the surpassing grace blessings for all eternity. Father, we're so thankful that you have commanded us to observe the ritual of the Lord's Supper. What an honor it is to be a participant of that and focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will help us to continue to keep our spiritual momentum moving forward as we grow in grace for we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.